We survived Black Friday. We didn't spend a chunk of money. We didn't get shot, mugged, or robbed because we simply didn't go anywhere. We stayed home and enjoyed the joy of having uh, both sets of parents here. When you get two families together that's been cooking for a combination of over 100 years, they prepare a feast. And they prepare enough for you to enjoy not just Thursday night, but Friday. And last night, I think I ate the last of the ham and the last of the turkey dressing. And it was a wonderful Thanksgiving. And God was faithful. And we are reminded of all the things that we should be faithful for. Last Sunday, we showed you a few clips of how sometimes we get impatient that things don't happen as soon or as we would like them to happen. And then reminded of the majority of the world does not have the blessings are the things that we have. I remember uh, my first trip to Haiti. I was overwhelmed by the poverty and uh, starvation. There's a place in Haiti called City Simone, and it's on the outskirts of the dump. And there's several thousand people that live in that city, and they eat from what they find in the dump. Haiti is a poverty-stricken nation, so you question, what would people that are walking in poverty, what would they throw away? What would be at the dump? And then there's a whole other generation of people living off that dump and feeding off that dump where they have no septic system. The, the, um, the, the utilities run right out into the street, into the gutter, and the kids play there and water infected. It is a, a nation that has diseases that no other nation has. And uh, if you go spend a week or two there, you come back so thankful. Things you would never uh, know to be thankful for, but you're, you're so thankful that God has blessed you and by the grace of God, any one of us could be a citizen of Haiti. By the grace of God, any one of us could have, could have spent time in North Africa. But God has so blessed us, and, and we are so blessed. But it reminds us of those that are not as blessed. And so what can we do to bless them and help them and encourage them? And I'm not sure that when God gave his son, uh, he never intended for this season to go quite the way it has gone we live in a generation that it's all about us and obviously the, the sales and the shopping and all the things taking place. And so we try not to get too caught up in the things of the world. Something that I do appreciate about the season is probably every store that you will shop in this year, oh, we're playing Christmas carols. Most of the Christmas carols have the entire gospel found in the four verses of that particular song. And so we thank God for the emphasis that we placed upon not just the cradle, but also the cross. Not just the cross, but, the, but the, the grave. He is risen. He's risen indeed. And because of that, we rejoice. Uh, so pleased to tell you that Donnie has survived 53 years of life. In spite of all the crazy things he's done as a child, he's not dead. He's alive. And we celebrate him today. Brother Keith Red has been helping an incredible church in Kentucky, working on their sound and video and he's home today, and we're so glad to have him. And we're so glad that every one of us are here this morning. We're not sick. We're not in prison. We're not in jail. We're not in the hospital, but we are alive. If you're alive, reach over and pinch your neighbor and remind them of St. Patrick's Day that's, that's coming up after the Christmas, our next big holiday, St. Patrick's Day. It's on down the road a little bit, but we will remind you about that. It's a very important holiday that I'm sure that we should all honor and um, Wear green. The thought today, and uh, the, the sound crew usually makes up their own title if I don't actually give them one, but the thought today is simply a question, and the question is this. What is God writing about you in the book of remembrance? What is God writing about you in the book of remembrance? Hebrews 11 chapters of powerful book of uh, chapter in the Bible talks about all the great things men and women operated in faith. We know that Abel's blood cried out from the ground. We know that Noah, and by the way, Hollywood is producing a movie uh, about Noah, and I think Russell Crowe is actually Noah, and there's a couple other heavy hitters in it. It's, it's neat how the world will, will line up with the Word of God, and we thank God for opportunities like that. But when we look at Noah, 500 years before he had a child, can you imagine living 500 years and, and uh, you talk about birth control. God had that all down in those days, didn't he? And then he and his sons for 120 years, they build an ark that nobody 
had ever seen an ark before. Nobody had ever seen rain before. The Bible says the dew came up from the earth and watered the land, but we know that Noah built the ark by faith. We look at Abraham that abandoned his family, his land, went into the land that God told him to go into in the age of 100, conceived a child called Isaac, whose name means laughter. And I'm sure if you're 90 and 100 years old and you're blessed with a new baby, you would name it laughter also because what, what a joke. What a, what a 90 years old and you're, and you're pregnant. How scary is that? When Abraham and Sarah went shopping from, for uh, maternity clothes, went shopping for baby clothes, everybody thought they were shopping for their grandkids, but they were not. They were shopping for their very own. You look at all the wonderful things about David and Jephthah, Samson, all the great, all the greats in Hebrews 11, and then those that weren't absolutely all that great but suffered tribulation. They were persecuted. They were assassinated. They were, the world was rocked because of their belief they had in the gospel. And that concludes with Hebrews 12, which declares, Wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin that doth so easily beset us, and let us run the race with patience. Looking, and this is my point, unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Not only has he started a book about you, but he's going to complete a book about you. Does that excite anybody in the house today that Jesus, and what is so exciting, he knows the last chapter. He knows where we're headed. He knows our destiny. He knows our purpose. And it's his will to do whatever it takes that we find the tools and the things we need to become and do what God has called us to become and do. Uh, my, my thought this morning as we ask the question, what is God writing about you in the book of remembrance? There are some books that were written that are not found in, in between the 66 books of the Bible. One of those is the book of wars. Three times there's reference to the book of wars, but yet we don't have that compiled in our canon. And the book of Asher is mentioned. There's about five different books that's mentioned that we don't actually have those books. We're not sure where they're at, what happened to them, why they weren't ordained into the canon. But there is a book found in Malachi, the third chapter, called the book of remembrance. And we may go there this morning and look at that just for a minute. The book of remembrance. What is God writing about you? Psalms 24, stay there at Luke 10, if you will. Psalms 24 makes this proclamation. The earth is the Lord's, and they that dwell therein. Everything that we see, everything that we have, everything that is a part of our life is simply borrowed. It belongs to God, and God adds it for our pleasure, for our expectations, the things he's called us to do. He equips us with those abilities and talents and blesses us with good things. Look at somebody and say, good things. I know this is hard for most of you to comprehend, but at the age of 15 or 16, when Southern California would have a camp meeting and all the churches in that region would come together, several hundred people, the uh, choir, the music, the music coordinator would ask me to sing a solo with my guitar. How scary is that? None of you ever knew that I had a uh, Bruce Springsteen side to me, but I remember a particular song that, uh, that we used to sing that simply says, of things that I love and hold dear to my heart. They're just borrowed. They're not mine at all. Jesus, only let me use them to brighten my way. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. How many every once in a while just needs to be reminded that the things you have, God has blessed you for your enjoyment. I forgot the second verse, but it says, roll back the curtains of memories. Whew. Now and then, help me. Show me where you brought me from and where I, I could have been. Remember, I'm human, and humans forget, so remind me, remind me, dear Lord. Here's what's precious about the blood of Jesus. It really doesn't matter to God what kind of yesterday you had. It really doesn't matter to God how, how many times you failed God yesterday. It really doesn't matter to God how many times you use the Lord's name in vain. I know that sounds kind of kind of bold, but here's what I do know. The blood of Jesus, like liquid paper, has erased the sins of yesterday, and today is a brand new day. As Pastor Rana said, this is the day the Lord hath made. I choose not to mess it up, and there are things that I can do today to mess up the goodness and the favor and the blessing of God, or I can realize that God made me. He knows I'm full of mistakes, 
He knows I'm going to think wrong things, say wrong things, do wrong things. He still loves me. He still has a purpose and a plan for my life. And that purpose and plan is to be a light in a dark place. How many know that light is, is most efficient in darkness? It's completely dark. You shine the light. He's called me to be the salt of the earth. I am to make non-believers. I'm to make them thirsty for the things that God has blessed me with. And he's called me to be not a servant, not a slave, but a son. Corinthians says, he who was rich became poor so that we are poor can, be, can become rich. I believe that many of us miss the picture or we miss the, the bottom line. The bottom line is not always the bottom line. But the bottom line is that God has called every single person within the sound of my voice, whether it's CD or live or podcast, God has called every one of you to be a light in a dark place. God has called every one of you to greatness. You may not feel great. There are things we go through, as Pastor Ron has said, sometimes we come to church, we don't feel great. We don't feel wonderful. Maybe we're remembering we lost it yesterday and said something we shouldn't have said or gone somewhere we shouldn't have gone or done something we shouldn't have done. But that's what's so powerful. Paul said, all grace may abound to you, not partial grace, not a little grace, but all grace. People say that salvation is free. It's not really free. It costs God the gift of his son to produce salvation. So it's a very, very expensive gift that none of us would ever be able to afford. The accusations against us, none of us could afford a lawyer to represent us. So God has given us a court-appointed attorney by the name of Jesus Christ that ever liveth in the mountains of glory, interceding for you and for I, taking the evidence against us, holding it to his bosom, handing it back to God, and all God has is evidence is full of blood. Aren't you glad that what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the promises of God are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He knew there would be a bump in the road this weekend. He knew there'd be a bump in the road last month. He knew you might mess up. He knew you might fail. It doesn't matter to him. He understands all about people messing up. He understands all about bumps in the road. But he still called you. And the Bible says the call is without repentance. In other words, before you were in your mother's womb, you were somewhere, and God began to declare things while you were in your mother's womb about you. And when God declared those things, he knew there'd be mistakes. He knew them, but he is not sorry. The word says he is not sorry that he called you. He will stand with you. He'll stand behind you. He'll support you. And if you desire to get back on the track he wants you on, he will mark a path. It's not necessarily an easy path. It's not a wide path or a broad path. The Bible says straight is the gate, straight is the way, and few that find it. It's like Interstate 75. I'm here to tell you on a good day, I can leave this parking lot. I can get on Interstate 75, and I can be at my cousin's house in Brandon in about 9 hours and 15 minutes. Now, that's a good day. That's running 84 miles an hour. That's making no pit stops, no McDonald's runs, just get, pulling off to get gas, and I can make it from here to there. However, should I choose, I could take the bypass there in Atlanta and get delayed for days. How many can relate? I could take the bypass in Macon and get delayed for a few hours. There's not a whole lot to do in Macon. But at any time, I can get off Interstate 75, and I can, and I can miss it. I can miss the mark. But aren't you glad that you have a built-in navigator that God has put in your heart and spirit, the things he has for you, and you're never going to be happy until you get on the path to pursue that. It's a happy path. The Bible says it's a highway called holiness. No ravenous beast shall enter therein, but it's for the redeemed of the Lord. It's a place that God has called us to walk, but not without equipping us, not without furnishing us, not without blessing us the things we need to make this journey. And so as I, as I think about the book of Remembers and I think about God actually pinning things about you. There are three times in the history of the world that we could have proved to the world, and God doesn't really have to prove to the world that he's God. Just look at a hummingbird or a bumblebee or look at a spider build a web or look at a child come out of the womb into life. All those things prove and point to the fact that there is a creator, there's a higher power, there's a higher authority, higher than you and I that is navigating everything in life. Can I get a witness to anybody in the building today, that he is the higher power. But as I think about the three times that God actually wrote, documented, that we could approve to the world there is a God, and that first time would be, would anybody like to guess? 
the Ten Commandments. The Bible says that God took his finger and he etched out the Ten Commandments, presented to Moses. Moses is on the mountain. The people are freaking out because Moses is gone. They're partying. They're celebrating. They're rejoicing over a golden calf. I never saw very much excitement about that, but for some reason they got all excited and Moses heard the sound of partying, the sound of alcohol, and the sound of, of disobedience. And Moses took the one thing that God did to, to prove to the world he was a God, and he broke it. He broke that tablet. So we lost the handwriting of God. The next time around, God told Moses, you're going to pin it this time. I'll give it to you. You write it down. Then I'm reminded of the great feast that the, the, the nation that had conquered Israel stole all the elements of the temple was actually drinking out of cups that were designed to serve God, to worship God there in that sanctuary. And while they were drinking and while they were parting, the Bible says a hand appeared and wrote many, many tekel upharsin. And there on the, on the wall, God wrote, you've been found, you've been weighed, you've been found wanting. So, and then a few hours later, that building crashed and burned because it was over, overcome, I believe, by the Medes or the Persians. But anyway, who, whatever nation took that over, level that building. So that's the second time we could have proved to the world. How cool would it be, David, to go to a museum and there on that, they had managed to save that, that wall and to display it and say, this is the finger of God. The third time that I'm reminded about the finger of God is when they brought the woman to Jesus that I never really did under that, understand that story because they accused her of adultery, but I always thought it took two to commit adultery. Where was the dude in the accusation? Anyway, they brought her, and you know the story. He got down on his knees and began to write there in the dirt, right, the clay or sand or whatever it was. And the word says all the accusers from the oldest to the youngest looked at what he was writing, and they walked off. And we all, we, we can, I'm preaching this message. I can tell you what I think that he wrote. I think he wrote down secret sins that they didn't want anybody to know about, and they saw it written, and they left because there was no one there. In other words, they picked up their rocks and split. There was no one there to throw a stone. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Well, the rain, the dust, the wind blew that, blew that handwriting on the sand off. So we don't have that to, to prove the fact that there was existence of God or Christ, rather, except for history. But I want to tell you this morning, God this morning is writing a letter to you. God this morning is writing things about you. God is declaring things about you, and he's putting it in a book. And there will come a day when God will open that book. And the word says he will reward us for that which we have done. He will forgive us for that which we have it. Does that excite anybody in the building this morning? Three laws, one spiritual, two natural. Law number one, and this applies to everybody upon the face of this planet. Are you ready? Law number one is what's yours is mine. We're a very selfish generation. What's yours is mine. Law two, what's mine is mine. Those are natural laws. Law three, what's mine is yours. God's law. Notice, if you will, in Luke. I knew we'd wind up sooner or later there. Luke was written by a surgeon. He was not a disciple. He was a convert of the apostle Paul. Wrote this book and wrote the book of Acts. Notice, if you will, chapter 10. I love the sound of pages. Oh, I don't hear. Make a sound with your Bible, if you will. I love that. Going to church without your Bible is eating spaghetti without a fork. You get a lot on you, but not a lot in you. It's important to always have your word, because what happens when I share it, and they put it up here, and then, and then you read it, it's a confirmation of two or three. My voice, the marquee, and you're, and you're reading it there. Notice, if you will, Luke 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, there's a lot we could be, could be said about lawyers, but we won't waste your time. Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Obviously a trick question, obviously asking the question without the supposition that Jesus had the ability to answer it. But notice what he said. He said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering, this is a lawyer, said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Five areas of love there. And thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, thus do, and thou shalt live. 
But he, again, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Watch this. And Jesus answering said, a certain man. This is not a parable. This is a story of a person that really did live, really did exist. And most of you know that I believe that this certain man was Adam, the first Adam of the garden. But that's not where I'm going with this thought this morning. And a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Adam was cast from the presence of God into the world and fell among thieves. The Bible says a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy and stripped him of his raiment. The enemy wants to take your garment of praise and give you the spirit of heaviness and wounded him. The enemy wants to hurt you, kill you, destroy you, and, 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 and devour you and departed. And when the enemy has done what he wanted to do, he'll leave you abandoned. He could care less. He could have a flying flip about you. Once he's destroyed you, he has no compassion for you whatsoever, leaving him half dead. How can you be half dead? Unless you've watched the movie Princess Bride, you won't know, you don't realize there's a difference between almost dead and nearly dead. But he's half dead. That means he's dead spiritually. God said, in the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. Adam lived another 930 some odd years. So obviously God wasn't talking about physical death, but talking about spiritual death. He left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a Jewish priest came along, and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. A Jewish, I'm sorry, I changed translations. Let me go back to the good old faithful King James. And likewise, a Levite, verse 12, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on this side. But a certain Samaritan, look at somebody say, a certain Samaritan. A Samaritan was considered a curse, considered a low life. The Jews wanted nothing to do with him, much the way they treated Jesus. As he journeyed, he was headed somewhere. He was born to die. He came into the, he came into the world. The world received him not, but to as many as received him, to gave him power to become sons of God, even those that believe on his name. When he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil represents anointing, wine represents joy, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn. We believe that beast he brought him to was the Holy Spirit and took care of him. And on the morrow, the next day, when he departed, he took out two pence. A pence was room and board for a day. He gave him enough uh, substance for two days and gave them to the host and said unto him, the host of the church, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come, when I come again, I will repay thee. Very popular story, powerful story. Most of you know the story about the Good Samaritan. The two pens, the, the, according to our calendar, Jesus has been gone 2,000 years, which represents two days. So it kind of looks like maybe this scripture is pointing prophetically that Jesus is about to return and bless us for our work, bless us for our effort, catch us away, carry us to a wedding that takes place for seven years, and then we're going to live in his presence doing his thing forever. Does that excite anybody in the building? But notice, if you will, the three... Notice if you were the three laws that I just shared with you. What's yours is mine. The thieves found this man. They robbed him. They mugged him. They beat him. They took was what was not theirs and declared it, it theirs and said, what you have belongs to me. That's one of the mindsets of the world that we have right now is that the world owes me. I want to be very careful what I'm about to say, but I have families in my life. Uh, they have three children. Uh, they get $800 a month in food stamps, and they have told me, why should we work when we can make just as much money off the government? I'll, again, I'll be very, very careful. There are people in my life that take their food stamps and negotiate them for drugs or alcohol or cash. We live in a society that, that has the attitude that we owe everybody and we should pay everybody. I just was taught, I don't know how correct it is, but I was told, that if your income is less than 30000 a year and your wife's income is less than 30000 a year, Mr. Obama has a plan to fund you with extra money so you won't be broke. You know, I came from the old school that if you don't have money, you go out and earn it. If you don't have money, you don't spend money, you don't have it. Any, any witness in the building, you write a hot check, I'll tell you we're going to wind up, but it's not going to be at Walmart. There, there, are, there are laws that God has given us to live by but this society is so out of order, so out of, so out of whack, that it actually, it actually supports. And again, understand my heart is for the unwed mother. 
My heart is the, for the widow, for the orphan. God told us those are who we're supposed to honor. But when you won't get married because you lose your food stamps or use your supplement, there's something not right with your life. There's something not right with your mindset, with your mentality. I need every married person in the building to shout, wave, holler, to, uh, to take out the silence of this, uh, of this moment. If you will, <laughs> I, guess, I guess the point that I need to make next is that the law and the church came and couldn't help him because their attitude is what's mine is mine. The, the priest and the Levite had the ability to do the very same thing that the Good Samaritan did, but they chose not to. They looked, they saw the need, and then they passed by on the other side. Where we've got to be careful is that we don't allow our churches to become a social event, that we like to go to the churches and have the nice, nicest clothes in the sanctuary, nicest cars in the parking lot, that we got to be careful that we don't make it about pride, but we make it about what God said to make it about. He didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. So a church should be a hospital that only has three people attending, those that need help, a doctor, and a nurse. And if you've been healed and restored, then God wants to train you up to be a nurse. Maybe some of you train you up to be a doctor. But if you're sick, if you're hurting, the church is the place to come where you should be restored, you should be refreshed, you should be blessed. It's not the concept of what's mine is mine. I had a girl call me last week and said, do you help families? I said, we do. I said, right now, financially, things are really tight, but we will do whatever it takes to find you groceries, to find you clothes. We just had a phone call. Uh, apparently, a, a, a mom and three kids, a ba- abandoned mom on a second floor of an apartment building. The guy downstairs was cooking meth, caught the building on fire. They lost everything, everything. We have their sizes. We have some beds. We have some dressers. We have a refrigerator. We have a microwave. And we are going to, in the next couple of days, we're going to load all that stuff up and take it to the new place that we're living. That's what the church is supposed to do. The girl that called me and asked me for help, I said, absolutely, we will help you. She said, I just called every church. Now, that's quite a statement. I just called every church in the city. That probably took about three weeks. There were about 400. And said that all the churches said, if you don't attend here, we can't help you. We don't build those walls. We don't, we don't believe that we just, the Bible says minister to the household of faith. I understand that, but our wall should be down. There should not be any barriers, denominational, social, cultural. There should be no barriers that whoever needs help to the best of our ability, which we should be able to provide. Am I helping anybody in the building? But when the good Samaritan came, he took what was his and he gave. He gave to the person that, that had been beaten. He, he bound up his wounds. He, he applied medical care. He applied oil, which represents anointing. He applied wine, which represents joy. I guess he just got him drunk and took him to the host and left him there at the host and said, hey, take care of him. Here's enough to take care of him for two days. If you spend more, when I return, I will repay. Are you glad that when he comes, he's going to stand us before his father and the father's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Uh, because you've been faithful over little things, I'll make you a ruler over many. And we're going to question God. When did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you in prison? He said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And that, and that, that, that quote there, the least of, the least of these, we, we have a tendency, if we're not careful, we have a tendency to be judgmental and critical. We might see somebody sitting on the street. They've got their little shopping cart there, and they've got everything they own is in that cart, and they live by going from dumpster to dumpster. And if we're not careful, we'll get the attitude of pride, and we, we have the attitude of, well, they say they'll work for food. They won't. They need to get a job. They need to do this. They need to do that. Can anybody relate? God didn't call us to be the judge. God called us to meet the need. Most of you have not uh, met Keith Dudley years and years and years Oh, Lord, centuries ago, decades, uh, uh, what's, what's longer than a century? Eons, eons ago, uh, Keith traveled with us, and, and uh, he ministered right before, before we taught, and he traveled, I guess, about two years, he traveled with us, and I remember on one particular, for some reason, I think Pastor Rhonda had gone with her sister to a Benny Hinn conference there, and Keith and I went to Bakersfield, California to preach there uh, a five- or six-day meeting, great church, great revival had a wonderful time, but Sunday morning, as we were headed to, it was either a Denny's or a Shoney's or, or Bob's Big Boy, as we was heading to the restaurant, there was a guy in the parking lot wanted some money. He said he was hungry, had nothing to eat, that he wanted some money to buy food, 
And at one time, I never gave anybody just money because too many times it, it was used to, to buy something else. So I told Keith, I said, let's take him inside the restaurant. Let's feed him. Let's bless him. Let's take care of him. Then we'll give him some money. So we took him in the restaurant. Man, I mean, he got two eggs, a side of ham. He got toast. He got milk. He got coffee. He, he ate and ate. He really was hungry. He ate and ate and ate. And then he started going to every table in the restaurant, asking them for money. The last table, the food caught up with him, and he threw up all over that table, all over their, all over their, what it was setting out, all over. So the manager asked us to leave, not come back. And from that day till now, if I see people outside a restaurant wanting money, I usually give them money. <laughs> but there's a, reason, there's a reason why we have that compassion in our heart, because that's the compassion that God had for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us. He cares about us. Even if the world identifies us as a loser, as a failure, that's not the way God sees us. And the majority of God's heroes in one way or another had failed or was a loser, had broke the law, had disobeyed God. But God has the ability to take broken things and make them better than new. Look at somebody and say, better than new. If you'll notice Mark 12 and 41, Mark was not a disciple either. Mark was a convert of Christ. A very humorous story while you're turning to Mark 12. We had a graduate from Lee University on staff with us, a Bible scholar, and uh, he had written several ministry helps and things of that nature. So he was preparing a class. He said, Pastor, he said, do you know all the disciples by heart? I know there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, Mark and Luke are not disciples. Anyway, that didn't cost anything. If you're going to talk about something, make sure you know what you're talking about. Does that help anybody? Notice, if you will, Mark 12 and 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. Many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain Look at somebody say certain. She really did live. Poor widow. And she threw in two mites, which made a farthing. And he called unto his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in out of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. I believe God watches what we do. I believe that God watches what we give away. Several years ago, the Lord spoke to me about going through my closet and everything that I had not worn in a year. God encouraged me to give it to a young man that had just begun ministry, really didn't have any suits or shirts or ties. And, and I had quite a bit of stuff that I had not worn in a year. And I got that to him, gave it to him, made sure all the suits were cleaned and pressed. And the shirts were all ironed and the tie is all color. I, in other words, I dressed him the way I wanted him to wear the suit. You know, we, you know how we get. And so whatever, whatever day that was, Friday or Saturday, whatever day I, I gave those clothes away, the very next day, Monday, Dean Hudson, many of you may know Dean. Dean at one time was Phil Driscoll's personal administrator. Uh, Dean came by the church and he said, Pastor, he said, I've gained a bunch of weight and I've got some suits here. Would you be offended if I gave them to you? I said, absolutely not. And they were like Hart Schaefer and Marx. They were like Louis Vuitton. They were Versace. And it was like, I, I was blown away. It was like five or six suits. They were probably six or $700 a piece. So you know what I did, Keith? I went back to the house and got all the clothes I hadn't worn in six months and gave them away also. There's, <laughs> there's, some, there's, something about, there's something about giving. Watch this. God does not focus on what you give God focuses on what you have left after you give. Now think about that for a minute. If we're called to be a light in a dark place, if we're called to be the salt of the earth, if we're called to meet the needs of others, there are times in your life when you will find that very expensive. It's expensive to bless, it's expensive to help. And I promise you guys, after, after 31, 30, I'm, I'm getting ready to celebrate 32 years of full-time ministry, that will be Easter Sunday, there have been times in my life when I felt like, you know what, I, I, I don't want to do anymore. I've done all I want to do, 
and then you'll turn it around, you'll go ahead and grudgingly obey the voice of the Lord. Can anybody relate? God said, don't give out of necessity. Don't give out of pressure. Don't give because you feel like somebody's putting pressure on you, but give because you have the hilarious attitude of giving. You love to bless people. You love, you love people to, to have stuff. I remember, and they're not here today. They're on vacation, but I remember I was able, um, as most of you know, I struggled 35 years with a bad colon. Uh, we did not find the colon was bad until a few years ago. Had surgery that took half my colon out of my body. I immediately went, I don't know what they did with it. They didn't give it back or, I, or pickle it. I don't know what they did with it. But anyway, I went from 119, and most of you know, to 181. And so I've got Pastor Rhonda. She's going through all of her winter, winter clothes, all her summer clothes. And I said, well, I, I really didn't want to take it on. But I said, okay, I'll go through my winter stuff. I'll go through my summer stuff. And as I begin to sort, okay, should I put this in storage? Should I put this in storage? I realized that half of the stuff that I was deciding what to do didn't fit me anymore. And what was not scary or sad, but just, just an attitude, the stuff I had that didn't fit me anymore, I loved. And so mentally I'm saying, well, you know what? I may, I may lose some weight. I don't think it's going to happen. I might be able, I'll just stick this back over in the corner and I'll just, and I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll lose weight and I'll wear it later. Or I'll just hold it out once in a while. I'll just remember how much fun it was to wear it. And the spirit, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a grudge. It was, the, the spirit of the Lord came upon me and said, let it go. And so if you, if you were to put a dollar amount on, it was several hundred dollars that, that, that I released and let go. Because that's what people do when they're ready to obey the voice of God to see what God has for them. And in doing that, um, I'll be very careful what I say, but in doing that, this week we received a financial blessing that came from absolutely nowhere, somewhere we, have, we weren't expecting it, desperately needed it, desperately God was faithful to provide, but it was like, I'm thinking back, okay, was that when I gave the clothes away or was that when I gave the deer away because I shot a deer and gave it to a family that didn't have any meat in the refrigerator? So, so what the word says, so here, no so there because you're not sure if God's going to bless this seed or God's going to bless this seed. So I'm not sure if God blessed the deer or God blessed the clothes. So this week, I'm going to go back through my closet, and I'm going to give away even some more clothes. Some suit. I've got some killer suits I can't wear because you can't. I know, girls, you get on the bed and pull your jeans. I understand all that. But a guy could only suck it in so far, and I decided to wear my, my pants under my tummy, not on top of my tummy. So I just can't, I just can't get them on. So I'm going to go through and I'm going to give those away again just because, let me tell you something, it almost becomes a game. It almost becomes, it's almost become, God said, prove me. It's like, it's like, well, let me see if I can outgive God. And we sing that song, you can't outgive God. But it's fun to try. And it's fun to go through and say, okay, this is good stuff. This is a good rod and reel. This is a good tackle box. This is a good shotgun. I mean, there's nothing wrong with this. And then you give it away because the Bible says it's more blessed to give then receive the reason being there, there's, 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 no, there's no redemptive value in receiving. All the redemptive value is in giving. It's fun to harvest the crop, but it's even more fun to throw seed that's almost invisible into rows or into, into an area and then see those seeds start coming up and realize that is the fruit of my lever. I sowed that and I'm growing that. And I know most of you have heard the story when I was 18 or 19 years old. I was, I was rebellious. I was not living with my parents, I was a carpenter, I was doing very well, and uh, unfortunately I was smoking a very high-grade marijuana, Maui Wowie, and for several months I collected the seed. I said, one day I'm going to get a hot light and I'm going to grow like my friends are, are growing. And, and so I had, a, I, had, I had a baggie full of high-quality seeds, seeds you probably go to Canada now and pay quite a bit of money for. I was living with my grandparents in a silver stream outside the house, and I said, well, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm never going to have a I'm never going to have a hot light. I'm never going to have my own yard, and I don't want to get a rusty seed. So I, I went outside, and I took the seeds, and I just, I just threw them outside, not knowing. The next day, my grandfather decided to have a garden. So he got a rototiller, and he, ch he chunked up a big chunk of the backyard, pretty much in the area where I planted all that seed. So he pulls all the weeds. He does rows. He starts planting carrots. He starts planting lettuce and radishes. In California, we have radishes quite a bit. And so he starts planting... And all over this garden, these plants begin to appear. 
with three, of, three or four of us grandkids all smoked pot, and we thought it was so funny that Grandpa was watering and, and fertilizing our marijuana forest. And the day, I promise you, the day before we were going to harvest that marijuana, Grandpa stops a cop car, has the officer come in the backyard, the officer says, oh, yeah, this is, this is marijuana. This is, you can't have. So he pulled it. He probably took it home and smoked it. I don't know what he did with it. But I learned, I learned, you reap what you sow. If you plant radishes, you're going to reap radishes. If you plant squash, you're going to reap squash. If you plant marijuana seeds, you're probably going to go to prison because you're going to reap marijuana plants and somebody's going to turn you in. I promise you. So there's something about the power of sowing and reaping. In this story, in this story, once or twice a week, we, we go through a conscious effort of sowing something in the kingdom. The tithe is pretty much a given. That's a covenant. That's a covenant command. We tithe because we're part of the family of God. We support the ministry. Offering is a little, offering is a little different. Offering is something that um, lately, I don't know how many of you can relate, but, but lately my, my funds have been a decision of gas or Wendy's. Can anybody relate? I can get the Wendy's double cheeseburger with the large fry and the large drink for $8.25. It's been $8.25 for months now, and I can get a gallon of gas for $3.10 or $3.00. 20 cents. So there have been times in my life that think, oh, come on, don't look at me that tone of voice. There have been times in my life when things were so tight, it was like, okay, do I go with the Wendy's or do I go with the gas? You know, it's pretty hard to push that suburban. You don't push it far, I promise you. And you can go without Wendy's, but you can't go without gas. Can anybody relate? But then there's times, and I don't, I don't mind these times because I know that God is always up to something. There are times when God will say, Give away your Wendy's money. What are you thinking? What do you mean give it away? That's what I was going to eat today. I was going to get the double cheese. I do it every day, Lord. You know, you know what I'm going to do here. And God said, give it away and see what happens. And it's scary when you, when you plug in to that particular vein because that is a direct hotline to God. God watches everything you give, and God sees if we give it just because it's extra and we don't need it. And God sees when we give it, when it's special to us and it means something, God sees that. He watched the rich and famous walk up and throw chunks of money in the offering. And that didn't, that didn't impress him. But when that little widow made her way, what is so wild is that the church is supposed to meet the needs of the widow. Here, this little widow is meeting the needs of the church because she had tapped in. Now, I don't see the rest of that story, but I don't believe the Lord let that widow go without food. I don't let that, I don't, I, I, when, when the Lord saw that, I believe the Lord sent some kind of provision to feed her, to clothe her, to take care of her. There's a little praying grandma that believed the Lord for everything. It, things were really tight and things were tight financially and she didn't have any groceries, didn't have any coal for the fire. And her grandson came over and her grandson was a lot like me. He was a pot smoker, hellraiser, drunk, troublemaker. And she began to tell him, she said, son, I've been, I've been praying that God, would bring some groceries, and God would bring some provision. And I'm really believing that. I want you to trust in God with me. Well, you know, this, this kid doesn't trust in God. This kid's a hellion. So this kid decides to go and buy his grandma a bunch of groceries and some coal. He got several bags of groceries, got a can full of coal. He lays it on her back porch, then he knocks on the door, then he runs off. She comes outside, sees all the groceries, sees the coal. She says, thank you, Lord. She puts the groceries in the refrigerator, puts the coals in the stove. The boy comes over. And the boy said, Grandma, what's going on? She said, oh, son, look what the Lord brought. Look at the provision. Look how he prepared it, provided it for me, just as I asked him for it. And the boy said, Grandma, the Lord didn't do that. I did it. She said, no, Lord, the Lord did it. He may have used the devil to deliver it, but the Lord provided. And I believe he watched over that little widow. I think he took care of that little widow. So what I have learned, it's not how much you give, but it's how much you have left over when you give. And sometimes God will ask you to sow a lunch. Sometimes God will ask you to sow a tank of gas. I remember there was a day when Jesus was ministering probably to 15,000 people. They only counted the men. They didn't count the wives and children. But he was ministering. The people were hungry. The disciples said, shall we send them away or shall we go to town and feed them? And they had the budget, exactly how much it's going to cost. It's going to cost a chunk of money. And the Lord said, what do you got? Well, Lord, somebody was so kind and and gracious to make sure that you had lunch, and here's a couple of loaves, and here's some fish, and, and this boy wanted you to have that. 
and that boy sowed his lunch, and that day fed the multitude. And I believe someday in heaven, we're going to see that little boy. He's probably not a little boy, but we're going to know that's the guy that gave his lunch to Jesus. And the Bible says that when they got done with the, with the lunch, they took up an offering, and they found 12 baskets of fruit. Who got the 12 baskets? I don't know, but I would like to see this little 12-year-old boy walking home that day trying to balance 12 straw baskets of food and bread and fish that he had given to the master and the Lord had blessed him. That's the way I want that story to end. I'm preaching this message, so that's the way I'm going to let it end. There was a little widow. There was a little widow. She, she barely had enough oil to make a biscuit. She barely enough flour to make a biscuit. The man of God sent there by God went to her house and said, have you any food? She said, we just got enough for one more meal and then we're going to die. He completely blew her off. He didn't hear what she had to say. He said, nevertheless, make me a cake first. Now, I don't know what attitude she had when she made that cake. She could have been cussing. She could have, been, she could have spit in it for all I know. Don't ever make a cook at Denny's mad at you. Don't ever make a cook mad at you. you there's no telling what they're liable to do to your food. I don't know what she did with the food. I don't know what kind of attitude she had when she, she may have thrown it at him for all I know. But when she served him, he looked at her in between bites, talking while his mouth is full. He looks at her and says, translated, go bake yourself a cake. And the word said for the next three and a half years, she went to that little handful of meal, that little cruise of oil, and the oil stayed and fed her family. Now, if you were to take that meal and put that $8 price tag to it, multiply it times three, and then multiply it times 1,000, which would have been three, which been three years, she sowed a little and got back a lot. That's how God plays. He does it. He does. God, God's not rational like us. His, he, is, he is so, he is so abu- his, 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 well, he owns everything. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness there of the world, and they that dwell therein. So he can do stuff like that. He can bless us going in. He can bless us going out. He can bless us laying down. He can bless us setting up. He can let us be the head, not the tail. He can teach us to loan and not borrow. His ways are not our ways, but they're intended to bless us and use us for his glory. I will conclude. When you, and let's just go ahead and, and, and stay here and finish this right, right here. To get your name in the book of remembrance has got to be a God thing. God said, I raise up, I tear down. I kill, I make a lot. I flatten mountains, I raise up valleys. So everything about blessing and everything about favor is all about God. He is a good God. All the time, he is good. He does not know a bad side. He's like a shepherd. He watches over us. He provides us. He will allow us in our stubbornness to wander away, break a leg, but he will pick us up and carry us until that leg is healed. That's just the shepherd, and that's just the God that he is. But when I think about things being written down and God honoring and blessing, I'm reminded of the story of Esther. We don't, we don't have a lot of time to talk about Esther, but most of you know the story. Uh, the king was very, very wealthy. The Bible talks in the first chapter how wealthy he was. How, how his table was set, all the fine linen, all the tapestry, all the gold, all the silver, all the fine fabric, calls a feast. His wife calls a feast. He decides that he wants to show off his wife. The Bible says she was very pleasant to look at. She was, she was, she was a, a good-looking young lady. So the king sent for her. She refused to come. He got mad. They gave him some more wine. He calmed down a little bit. He called in his elders and said, what shall we do? And here's what the elders said. If the ladies of the land hear that the queen refused to come at your beckoning, then there will be upheaval and uproar in the land. So we need to set up right now. We need to make sure that women stay in their place, do what they're told. How many know that as in the Bible? As in the Bible. And so, and the king said, what you have said is a good thing. So he banishes the queen for, for the rest of her life. She can never go in the king's presence again. And a decree, it's called the law of the Medes and Persians, read it for yourself in the first chapter, second chapter, that, that the king established a law that wise, you've got to come when your husband is called. It's a thought. It's a law. And that's where women's rights first kind of got an attitude and started all those years ago. They started fighting that. Now they don't have to come when their husband calls. Unless he has the debit card or the credit card, then they need to come when he calls. Do I have a witness in the building? 
And so the king gets lonely, as, as, as healthy men are going to do, and so he decides to select a wife, and you know the story. They begin to prepare. Esther prepares for a year. Six months, they anointed her with, with, with soft lotions. Her skin would be soft, and then six months, they anointed her with, with perfume so that she would smell beautiful. She had a particular uh, fragrance about her. History says it was tangerines. History says that they would take tangerines, and they would crush them, and they would make a, they would make a potpourri out of it, and then they would, they would let, light the potpourri, and then they would fan the smoke towards her, and her hair, her garments would all be filled with tangerine. And if you've never smelled tangerine uh, after service, if you want, you're welcome to smell me, because that's what Clinique by Happy, Happy by Clinique smells like, fresh tangerine. That's that, that's that smell. She had her own fragrance, went to the king, got favor, married the king, and then, I'm serious. You guys think I'm kidding. If you've never eaten a tangerine, you've missed out. But don't eat a tangerine after you brush your teeth, because you won't like it, I promise you. So she, so she becomes a queen. She does what God has called her to do and doing what God wants her to do. But notice, if you will, in Esther, the second chapter, Esther is right before the book of Job. That's not a job. Many people don't read that book because they think it's a job. It's not a job. It's a man's name, Job. I don't know any, any Jobs in my life. Who any Jobs in our life, honey, do you know? After what he went through, no, no mama want to name him. Notice, if you will, chapter 2, verse 21. And if you're reading without bifocals or glasses, be grateful, be thankful, because the day will come when you will not. In those days, while Mordecai, Mordecai was the cousin of Esther, her mom and dad had died, so Mordecai raised her as his very own daughter. In those days, when Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh. Oh, what stupid names they name their kids. Come here, Bigthan. Here, Bigthan. Sounds like a dog's name. Of, the, of those which kept the door were wroth and sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. Here. Say that with a mouthful of breath mints. And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen, and Esther certified the king thereof to Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of this matter, it was found out, therefore, they were both hanged on a tree as is written in the book of Chronicles before the king. This is another book of the Bible that we've not found, the book of Chronicles. So here's what happens. Mordecai sitting by the gate. That was a place of honor and uh, kind of a, kind of a uh, cele- celebrity status, sitting by the gate. Heard two guys. They were plotting to kill the king. He tells it to his niece, who is now the queen. The queen tells the king. They research it. And sure enough, these two guys were going to kill the king. They were going to assassinate him. And so the king had these two guys crucified. End of story. Now, if you will, go with me to Esther 6. Chapter 6 is directly after chapter 5. If you need any more help than that, you're on your own. Now, watch how God has the ability to wake up your employer. Watch how God has the ability to wake up your mentor. Watch how God has the ability to wake up your enemy. God has the ability to wake up anybody, anytime he wants, and say and do whatever he wants, whether they're heathen, whether they're spiritual, whatever. Are you with me? On the night that the king could not sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told a big, however you say that guy's name, just go for it, and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keeper of the door, who sought to lay hold on king, that guy. And the king said, what honor and dignity has been done to Mordecai for this? They said to the king's servants that commanded unto him, there is nothing done for him. Watch how God keeps a record. Watch how God honors faithfulness and God honors blessing. These two guys are going to kill the king. Mordecai doesn't have the relationship to go to the king or to the king's chamberlains, but he has a relationship with Esther. He talks to Esther. Esther goes to the king. They research it. And sure enough, these guys were plotting to kill the king, so they're, they're, they're crucified. They're put away. But nothing was ever done to bless Mordecai. But somebody wrote it down. Somebody journaled it 
in a book of remembrance. And as they journaled it and wrote it down, there was a night, for some reason, the king couldn't sleep. They didn't say why he couldn't sleep. I believe the Lord kept him awake and that he wanted to, and somewhere, for reason, he asked for the book of Chronicles. Bring the book and read it to me. And they begin to read this story, how Mordecai had discovered the plot, had turned the guys into Esther. Esther told the king, and the king's life was spared, and they were crucified. And the king said, what did we do for him for saving my life? Well, we did nothing. Well, ironically, Haman at this time is trying to set up his own kingdom, set up his own gallows, and Haman arrives at the king's early in the morning, arrives at the king's uh, chambers, and the king said, who's out there? And they said, well, it's Haman. Well, bring Haman in. So the king said to Haman, what would you do to somebody you want to highly bless, highly favor, highly honor? And of course, Haman thought the king was referring to him, that he was, so Haman came with this great big blessing, this great big honor, this great big celebration. And the king says, okay, do everything you said, everything you planned, do everything to Mordecai. He hated Mordecai. He couldn't stand Mordecai's guts. Aren't you glad that God has the ability to always remember what we've done, whether anybody else remembers, and at the, look at somebody say, the right time. At the right time, at the right time, God has the ability to bless us. Things written down, things recorded, things restored. What is so ironic, because of this just happening, the plan that Haman had to destroy the Jews, which had wiped out David, which wiped out Jesus, had he, had he did what God, well, had he did what the enemy planned for him to do, there would not be a generation of Jews. They wanted to wipe them all out. But because the king had remembered Esther's cousin who saved his life, when Esther goes before the king, his heart is soft. His heart is full of compassion. His heart is full of good nature. I've just blessed this guy for saving my life. Then Esther says, there's a plot to take out the Jews. And the king said, I've already decreed it. What do you want to do? He says, I just want my own army. Let me take on those that are trying to take us out. So the favor of the Lord will come at times when we need them the most. Do I have a witness in the building? Let me go one more, one more story. Acts 10. It's 10 minutes after 12. I am, I am done. Acts again, written by a surgeon. I went to Acts 5. I don't want Acts 5. Oh, yeah. If you're there, say amen. If you didn't bring your Bible, say, oh, me. If you'll write yourself a note to bring your Bible next Sunday, that, that could help. Just as long as you're not doing your budget or writing a love letter. Acts 10. Let's go to verse... One, there's a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. These guys were obviously Romans, mobsters, a devout, oh, he wasn't a mobster, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much, look at the word much there, much alms to the people and prayed to God always. This guy was a giver and a prayer. He saw in a vision, the Bible talks about the vision, but the point that I want to make is found in I'm not sure what point I want to make. No, I want I want it where it says that your prayers and your alms have been Oh, thank you, thank you. Okay. Let's just keep reading them. He has a vision, an angel comes into him, calls him by name, and when he looked on him, he was afraid, as most of you would be if you saw a 10-foot angel with a 12-foot sword glowing white. What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. So what's the point? The point is, I believe it's impossible to sow seed and not reap a harvest, but I believe that when we sow into the kingdom of God, I believe that God records it just as they did in the days of Esther. I believe that God records it. And at the right time, God has the ability to turn around and bless us and honor us. You are building your gifts, your prayer, 
your, everything you do for the kingdom of God is building a memorial before God. I don't know what kind of memorial it is. I don't know if it's an altar. I don't know if it's a, a, a caricature of you. I don't know. I don't know. It might, be, it might be a cross. But somewhere in the presence of God, there are memorials being built because of your faithfulness and your kindness. And the joy is that any time you hit a snag in, a, in your life, you can remind God, God, I've been faithful over a few things. I need a blessing. I need, you to, I need you to respond. I need you to touch. And at times when we least feel like we need it, it's a time when God is likely to bring it. And when he brings it, we realize it wasn't late. It was just on time. Father, thank you for this house. Thank you for a house that's not afraid to give, not afraid to sow, not afraid to bless our time, our fruit, our labor, our gifts, our effort are yours. Everything that we have, everything that we have acquired, everything that we possess belongs to you. We came to this world with nothing but a heartbeat, and we won't even leave this world with that. So we thank you for doors you've opened. We thank you for doors you've shut. We thank you that there are memorials that we have built in good times and in these seasons when things are tight, in these seasons when things are a little frustrating, these seasons when it seems like there, there is no end of the matter, Lord, we ask you to move on our behalf. We, we bring to your attention, you said to prove you, we bring to your attention the things that you've declared for us to declare. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you're looking for the, the book of remembrance, if you go to Malachi, the third chapter, we're talking about tithing and offering. The Bible says a book of remembrance was written for those that support the kingdom. So this morning, God is writing something about you. This morning, God is adding to his journal memorials. God is adding to his journal stuff. And God might hide something in the word of God that you might not find. And I wish I had five more minutes, but I don't. Um, when Daniel was the wise men of the city, Daniel went to a king named Cyrus and said, Cyrus, about 200 years ago, Isaiah wrote about you, called you by name, and told you what you would do for his glory. And Cyrus, receiving that input from Daniel, actually followed up and did it. So know that God is writing... Look at somebody and say, God is writing something about my faithfulness and my seed. And I trust him that when it's necessary, he will bless that. Some sevenfold, some thirtyfold, some a hundredfold. But he always outgives that which I give him. How incredible is that? Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise for he?